lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering. the mecca of mormonism salt lake city utah this is heart of the matter where mormonism meets biblical christianity Woo. face to face and i'm sean mccraney your host hey if you have family or friends who can't watch the show from uh, the television have them go to www.htom.tv and they can watch any of the shows through streaming video live from anywhere in the world they can also, um, sorry, hotm.tv. They can also watch past shows, anything like that. So we invite you to come out. Hey, this coming Monday night on July 28th from 6 to 8 p.m., join us in Layton for a book signing at New Life Christian Books. The address is 1550 North Main Street in Layton. Now, uh, come on out and take a look at, the, at this new bookstore because a Christian bookstore in Utah is tough business. And so if, uh, even if you don't have money, come on out and, and just pray for the store. Come out and see what it's about so when you do have all that money, you can come and buy books over there. That's why we do this. We hope to see you there. And by the way, Dolly Books on Main Street in Park City is now carrying I Was a Born Again Mormon. So if you live in that area... Go on up there and pick up a copy from them. My good friend Robert pointed something out relative to the supposed conflict in Acts that we talked about last week between Acts uh, 9-7 and Acts 22-9. And he went to the Greek and something that I skipped over and I thought it was a good point. Acts 9-7 reads, And the men which journeyed with him, Paul, stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. Then Acts 22-9 reads, and they that were with me, talking about Paul, saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And so people say uh, there's a conflict there. It's contradictory and it isn't because the first one says hearing a voice in the Greek is a general word. And the hearing, heard not the voice is a specific word uh, directly meaning the Lord's uh, exact voice. So even in the Greek, another backup to show that the Bible is the infallible word. Saturday, September 20th of this year from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Sugar House Park. Join us for Burning Heart 08. It's a chance to come have food and fellowship, uh, fun, bounce houses, uh, music. Churches will be involved. In fact, we want you, if you are a pastor of a church, to come down and uh, get involved with us, and we want you to ask your congregates to invite their inactive or uh, lesser active LDS family, friends, and neighbors to join them. 
I'm going to give the final message of the day there, and it's going to be a, a message to come to know the Lord. We're even going to have a baptismal font there that just like they did in the book of Acts when they accepted the Lord, why wait? Uh, when the Ethiopian accepted the Lord, why wait? Be baptized. And so uh, we want to invite you to join that. We think it's going to be a great statewide, even bigger than the state event. And uh, so plan on that September 20th of this year. Receiving emails from uh, well-meaning uh, Christians who want to know why I'm not spending more time talking about Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, Pearl Great Price, all that stuff that's history. A couple of things. First of all, we have. If you've just tuned into the show, we, we've spent a couple of years doing that. Go to www.hotm.tv and you can see all the past shows on our archives. But second, we're going to continue to. 2009, January, we're going to begin and we're going to pick up where Joseph Smith was shot at Carthage Jail. And we're going to work through the LDS history, going through Brigham Young, John Taylor, all those guys, all the way up to the present day. So uh, 2009 will be going back to doctrinal, historical LDS uh, topics. So stay tuned for more on this later. Finally, we're working very hard to getting those uh, past shows duplicated so you can have them if you want to watch them. If you're not a YouTube or uh, uh, iPod or any of those type of viewers. Abandoned Ship, how are you doing with getting your name off the records of the church? Uh, have you sent your letter in? We're getting more and more emails from people saying, yes, I finally did it. And the general consensus from them, uh, from, from folks who have done it, say they have peace, they have tranquility, they uh, have a renewed dedication to know the true and living God, and even some have some elation and personal pride for finally taking the step to do it. Want more information? Go to www utlm.org and just uh, do a search. You can also go to bornagainmormon.com for more information on how to do that. A uh, Christian radio a television station so that's my train sent me uh, something in Atlanta and it's all about uh, let me read it to you. This is a uh, news release that came out defending Mormonism. Topic of a new book, Increased Anti-Mormon Internet Activity Causes Some Mormons to Doubt Their Faith. A grassroots volunteer group is fighting back. From Redding, California, with anti-Mormon attacks threatening their faith of some Mormons, a volunteer organization offers timely help by answering critical charges in a faithful manner. Um, and then he goes on to say, Adding uh, to the confusion of internet sites that target Mormons and the hope of creating doubt and disillusionment through a selective presentation of the evidence. Accordingly, some believers unaware that faith-shaking claims have been answered time and again have abandoned their former religious convictions. It goes on to say in this press release, Apostle Neil A. Maxwell, late apostle, expressed his concern that critics shouldn't be allowed to make, quote, uncontested slam dunks against the church. This is a uh, this is a rally cry from starting back to Neil A. Maxwell. He says we shouldn't be accepting uncontested slam dunks from critics of the church. And so what we have now is the LDS church, its lay members, Joe Smo sitting on his couch decides he's going to do a YouTube video about what the church means to him. 
my religion, they say, and there's all kinds of them. And they're getting into the media and the newspapers, sound bites, YouTube, supposedly these kind and gentle dialogues that are going on between Christians and faithful LDS and Christian churches. And uh, I, it's all bent to try to get you to think that there's no difference. We're all Christian. We all are moving in the same direction. Please don't pick on us. Yet at the same time, the LDS Church continues to push Joseph Smith, his teachings, all the way down, ha having not rescinded Doctrine and Covenants 132, which talks about polygamy. They still practice polygamy in their temples. They say they don't, but they do. I could have more than one wife. If my wife were to pass away, I would have as many sealed to me as I want for the future. And so they believe in that principle. It goes on and on. So my suggestion, and I say this all the time, Go to utlm.org. They are fact-based. You look up and you can see what the church teaches from their own writings, not from someone making it up. From their own resources, you can see it. What has been said? And you can see what they believe relative to the Bible. Seek the truth uh, on your own. Hand in hand with the recent defense of the faith uh, position many LDS are taking, I received two, maybe three, but I think two emails that said this week, quote, both of them from different places, you have been deceived. Now, let me assure you, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I love the Lord. I repent of my sins. I seek to follow him by obeying his word. I have faith and love and hope and assurance in him and what he did on the cross in his life. Through overcoming death by the resurrection, I seek the Holy Spirit in my life. Yet their claim is from the LDS, I have been deceived. How have I been deceived? In believing in Jesus Christ? That's been the deception as my Lord and King. I embrace Jesus, but I reject a treasure-seeking boy's claims that he found golden plates near his home and translated them into a book. I've been deceived because I reject that. I've been, been deceived because I, I reject his multiple stories about changing stories about seeing God. His claims that finding funeral papyri that was uh, Egyptian and some mummies and translating them into a book of Abraham that he said Abraham actually wrote. And I've been deceived. I've been deceived by his Masonic temple rites. I've been deceived by his practicing polygamy. I've been deceived because of all this. Does that make any sense to you that I stand and I try to say, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the LDS are writing me and saying, I have been deceived. Just try to think about that for a minute. And as you do, let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for all that you have given us life and uh, the benefits of life and especially your son. We pray for your spirit to be with our audience members the people who are viewing you at home, on the internet, wherever it's happening, Lord. We pray you'll be with our staff, our volunteers, the technical issues of television, and with me that I'll say what you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. As you may recall, we've been reviewing the Trinity for the past few weeks on the show. Two weeks ago, we established the biblical fact, the biblical fact that there is only one God. That was the first week of three. Last week, we illustrated through the Bible that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit share in the same descriptive names and titles. They are called and include the truth. They are all called Almighty. They are all called Lord, Eternal, Powerful, and Holy. 
We also pointed out that the Bible equally assigns the godlike attributes or the God attributes to each of them, including omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, holiness, and even the name and title of God, capital G, all given to each one. In response to the Christian position of one God of three persons, the LDS have some standard and not so standard responses. We're going to wrap up part three of the Trinity tonight and finish up with some of these responses and answers to them. Um, we're also going to end up, before we open up the phone lines, and talk about how Joseph Smith taught the Trinity at one time and how he morphed over a period of time and so did his ideas of who God was and that present-day Latter-day Saints now accept and believe in the morphed God and not his original presentations. One of the first responses, juvenile responses, I think, that you'll receive from a Latter-day Saint when it comes to the Trinity is that the word is not in the Bible. Well, let's use their own logic on them and apply it to their doctrinal positions, okay? New and everlasting covenant is not in the Bible. Um, Premortal existence is not in the Bible. Families can be together forever is not in the Bible. Do you want me to go on? I mean, we can go on endlessly. We all understand codifying words, don't we? Words that we use to help us understand concepts that are sometimes too broad or too wide for our little minds. The word Trinity is one of them. Need to get over that response, Latter-day Saints. It's a childish one. The idea, the concept of Trinity is all over the Bible. But I have to be honest, you're not going to see it if you haven't been given spiritually regenerated eyes. That's biblical. And so what you will see when you read the Bible as a Latter-day Saint are the concepts that you have been given since you were a child of who God is. And you'll be completely blind to the truth of what the Bible teaches he is until you have new eyes to see. So I would challenge you to pray, God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Help me to know. Ask anyone who has come out of Mormonism and come into a full Christian relationship with God and they can't believe how the Bible teaches Trinitarian doctrine. But as a Latter-day Saint, they were never able to see it. Another argument the LDS will use to attack the biblical truth of one God of three persons is by using statements and situations in the Bible to supposedly prove the Trinitarian notion is false. Here are a few popular ones. One is that Jesus himself said in John, the Father is greater than I. Jesus said that. The LDS say, see, uh, they'll say these are different people because Jesus said the Father is greater than I. Jesus wasn't God. He was just God's son. Again, this is a problem with taking specific verses and using them as a proof text for one complete doctrinal position. Interestingly, Jesus also says in the very chapter where he says the Father is greater than I, he says in this chapter of John that he is I am. And the Jews picked up stones to kill him for saying that because they knew that that title I am is synonymous with I am God. I am the self-existent one. And they wanted to kill him for making himself God. 
He also said that he was equal with God in John 10, 33. He was worshipped even as a baby in a manger, worshipped by grown men and women, worshipped. You only worship God, especially if you're a Jew. He was worshipped. He told Philip, who asked him, show us the Father, Lord. And he said, Philip, how long have I been with you? How long? You've seen me. You've seen the Father. They're equal. They are co-equal with the Holy Spirit. But aside from all these instances, we still have the greatest foundation upon which the Trinity stands. There is either no God, there is either one God, or there are many gods. What's your choice? Read the Bible. There's either no God, there's either many gods, or there is one God. The Bible fully supports one. Therefore, with Jesus being worshipped, called God, and making himself equal to God, the Trinitarian concept is the only acceptable concept to come out of the Bible. Another response, which is similar to the last, is the LDS citing that Jesus prayed to the Father and that the Father spoke to him from heaven and that the Bible proves his subordination to the Father. While these references are all correct, they're not correctly understood. When we forget any one of the following biblical facts regarding God, we run into this type of errant reasoning to which the LDS missionaries and defenders resort. Here are the three things you have to remember. There is one God. There are three persons. They are equal but, of different, but have different roles. One God, three persons, equal but have different roles. Remove or alter any of these biblical facts from your mind and you're going to run into trouble and you'll start asking insipid questions like, was Jesus praying to himself in the Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, was he a ventriloquist when he was baptized and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, which the LDS do in a mocking tone every time they do it. The Christians believe they are three persons. Try to get that through your head. They have never said they're not three. You hear three in one. Uh, the next response that they will say is, I don't understand this God. They, they love that one. I don't comprehend this God. My response is, how could you worship something that you could comprehend? Really, truly worship. In reality, this point perfectly illustrates the difference between the Christian mindset and the LDS mindset relative to God and most of their doctrine. A biblical Christian will say, God is so great and so awesome, so powerful, that I, a sinner, a man or woman of the flesh, will never comprehend his love and his power, ever will understand what he has done, who he is completely. But the true LDS heart says, I am so advanced in advancing in my righteousness, in my life choices. I'm so steeped in my possession of the Spirit that I am able to almost easily grasp the entire nature of God. Because when it is all said and done, He's just like me. He is just like me, a glorified man, and that's what I'm becoming. Those are the two different perspectives between a Christian and a Latter-day Saint. Simple as that. You get it? Two more common LDS responses to the Trinity. One says, the Trinity just doesn't make sense. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis, page 165 of Mere Christianity. Quote, 
if Christianity was something we were making up, of course we would make it easier. But it is not. We cannot compete in simplicity with people who invent religions. How could we? We are dealing with fact. Of course, anyone can be simple if he has no facts to bother about. Let me, remind, let me repeat that last phrase. Anyone can be simple or make thought easy if they have no facts to bother about. Because in the egocentric notion that God was once a man who has a father, who has a father, who has a father, who sired Jesus as a, as a normal man would sire his own son, this does not make it right. If you give me 30 minutes, I think I could come up with a God and it would make logical sense and it would even tie into aspects of the Bible that would be much easier than the concept of the Trinity because I wouldn't be uh, confined to fact. I could just tell you what my little dream imagination was of this God. You know, he came from a Martian belly and he, you know, something like that. And, and, and there is probably somebody out there who would believe it because, it, oh, that makes sense to me, you know. And so that is exactly the God you're looking at. Finally, and in another more sophomoric level of thinking, some LDS defenders will use rudimentary elements of arithmetic to help explain God. They will say, literally, God the Father is one, Jesus Christ is two, Holy Ghost three, one plus one plus one equals three gods, right? They'll actually talk down if you can get them to really expose themselves to you. And the thing they forget is God is a triune being, not a triplex being. He is one house consisting of a foundation, walls, and a roof, not three uh, triplexes next to each other. You get that? He's one house, foundation, walls, roof, one house, not three triplexes. The plus uh, arithmetic thing makes him this, this three God polytheistic approach, but the one times one times one gives you one God. And that is what you're talking about when you're talking about the Christian biblical God. Uh, who was it? Norman Geisler said, there is no more mathematical problem in conceiving the Trinity than there is in understanding one cubed, meaning one times one times one. In the end of it all, let me assure you, if you're Christian, that you have far more to stand on with the idea of a trinity and the Trinitarian notion of a God, which is just the title we give it, than the LDS ever stand on polytheistic, henotheistic uh, gods, uh, and the, or uh, biblically speaking. Joseph may have simplified it with his own imagination, but biblically speaking, you have far more to stand up on. Be proud of your belief in one God of three parts. Don't let them make you feel bad about that or confuse your mind. But uh, there's another side to this that you have to consider. Mormonism itself, historically, and even in the Book of Mormon today, supports the Christian constructs of a trinity. And let me explain this before we go to the phones. 801-973-TV20, uh, 801-973-8820. We hope you'll call if you are a first-time caller. We would love if you're LDS. And uh, make sure you turn your televisions down before you come on the air. I have long maintained that the Book of Mormon is nothing more than a fictional book which borrowed heavily from biblical themes, 
themes of Joseph Smith's own personal family and community themes that were going on around his life as he wrote the book, maybe with the help of others. This is what makes the Book of Mormon so benign relative to the Bible in, as far as its content goes, all right? Joseph wrote the, this book early in his life when I believe he still had a desire to lead people to God, Jesus Christ, um, and try to make a good religion. Now, I don't know if he was completely on track there, but I think his desires, because he came from a Christian family, his desires were there to at least start off and try to do this. But as Joseph-centered traits took over his life, these notions left God and centered on him. And he, but he had this problem. The teachings of the Book of Mormon, the first work he produced, taught a one-God theology. In 1837, eight years after the publication of the first Book of Mormon, eight years he went back and he started to take out and change all these things that were in the Book of Mormon that taught one God, that taught the Trinity. And this means a couple things. One, it means Joseph Smith knew that the book was not translated from God's uh, mouth to his ear. And he even altered what supposedly was given to his ear from God by looking into the hat and to the seer stone. He, trans he changed those words that he was supposedly given. Okay? So much for pure translation. But Joseph was growing in popularity by this time. He had a, a following, and I personally believe he grew tired of going through the whole Book of Mormon and trying to fix everything. So he only went through 1 Nephi, the first book of the Book of Mormon, and changed those doctrines about God. It's uh, 1 Nephi 11, 16, 18, 21, 32, and 13, 40 are all changed by Joseph Smith's hand in 1837, eight years after the first publication of the Book of Mormon, to change the nature of God to his current views of who he was. The trouble is, the Book of Mormon retained other doctrinal teachings that taught one God. And maybe he forgot about them, or maybe he just said, ah, oh, they follow me no matter what I say, leave them in there. I don't know. When they poured the cornerstone of the Kirtland Temple, he ran out. He ran with a copy of the Book of Mormon that he had, an actual handwritten copy, and he wanted to put it in the cornerstone. He said, here, I've had enough trouble with this thing. That's what his comment was. All right? So let me give you some passages that are still in the Book of Mormon, and you tell me, do they, do they teach the current LDS doctrine of God, or do they teach the Trinity? It says, the three testimony of the three witnesses, um, bottom line it ends, and the honor be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, which is one God. Okay? They ascribe everything. That sounds like a Catholic prayer. It sounds like something you would hear in the Athanasian creeds. In Messiah 15, 1 through 5, I'm going to be quick, but it says, how Christ is both the Father and the Son, he shall make intercession and bear transgressions of his people. It says, And now Abinadi said unto them, I would that ye should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. God himself. And because he dwells in the flesh, how he shall be called the Son of God, and having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son. That's actually modalism. The Father, because he was conceived by the power of God, and the Son, because of the flesh, thus becoming the Father and the Son, and they are one God, yea, the very eternal Father of heaven and earth. 
and thus the flesh becoming subject to the spirit or the son of the God uh, or the son of God being one God suffereth temptation. That is pure Trinitarian, if not modalistic uh, teaching of the Godhead. Alma 1144. And it, talking about the uh, resurrection, and in the end it says, It shall be brought and be arraigned before the bar of Christ the Son and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, which is one eternal God. He, he repeats this throughout. Why? Because Joseph Smith took his teachings from a Christian and he, he put them in these biblical teachings. You go to 2 Nephi 31.12, says the same thing. The true doctrine of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. All right? In the end, we see that Joseph's later doctrines and teachings about God not only conflict with the Bible, but they conflict with, with what he accepted as truth when he wrote the Book of Mormon. My friends, I'm not picking on Joseph Smith. Many, many a man, even many Christian men, have gone from having good intentions to being in the fringes of their thoughts. David Koresh began as a believer. Armstrong, who founded the Worldwide Church of God, Herbert W., was once a solid believer. Jim Jones, the cult leader, started as a teacher of the Bible. We see it time and time again. But Joseph was shot early in his life. And with his body went his growing postulations. Brigham Young added a few of things to his craziness. And the others kind of set everything in concrete. And now millions of you are embracing Joseph's later life, many secret wives, power-hungry craziness as the teachings of what God is. They have completely rejected the idea that there is one God, that there is three persons, and that they are equal but with different roles. Let's go to the phone. We're going to Mike in Draper on line one. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Well, thanks for taking my call. Before I ask a question on the Trinity, I got to know where you got that shirt. You know what? Um, this shirt was given to me as a gift. I've gotten several shirts recently as gifts, and uh, I don't know where it came from, but the people who got it for me have very good taste. Well, I'm glad you didn't pay for it. Ah. <laughs> okay, here's the question I have. First of all, I got to state up front, I really don't have a dog in this fight. Yeah. As far as who's right and who's wrong, but I, I do have some intellectual interest in yeah. this issue, and, and that is if if we look at Mark thirteen thirty two, and I'm sure you've heard his argument before. I'm not bringing up anything you haven't heard before. Okay. And it says it's referring to the second coming, and it says, "But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father." Yeah. And so here's an example of one of the members of the Trinity knowing something, but the other one does not. Yeah. The answer to that would be that Christ descended when he took upon a body of flesh below all things, it says. He, he came down, he took upon himself all the trials and everything of the world. He even learned by obedience to the Father how things were. So that's one of the beauties of Christ's sacrifice, coming down from a pre-existent eternal throne and subjecting himself to the flesh. And so when he said that, he was speaking truth. He didn't know the time and season then. He didn't know when the day would be. But it doesn't mean, as the son, true, he was in a body of flesh and bone that could be killed. So we know he was inferior to the father in that position as well. But it doesn't take away from the pre-mortal idea of one God, Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father being one of three persons, and that's the, what people stick to. Okay, I guess I understand that argument, but are you saying that 
the members of the Trinity all have minds of their own, and have their own intelligences, if that's an appropriate word? No, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say that they are one, one being. But I would say that Jesus, when he separated, he, uh, he came down and he took upon an aspect of uh, man to save us that maybe, uh, maybe it, it hindered or blocked out some of his preexistent knowledge. Obviously, that has to be true for him to learn by obedience uh, to the Father's will what he was supposed to do. Well, I, I understand the one point you're making about Jesus coming down and going through trials and, and getting uh, a body and, and, and a whole atonement issue. Right. But I, so I don't, I'm not disputing, I don't, I don't disagree with that point from an intellectual point of view. Right. However, I, I think according to this verse in Mark, that you know you have a case here where one member of the Trinity knows something and the other one does not. Uh, and I don't mean to sound offensive here, but it, you know some people would say God has multiple personalities. Yeah, you could you could uh, go down that road and say those type of things, but uh, I mean that's the only that's really the only answer I would have is what the Bible says Jesus was, and I don't know that I can understand it except for the fact that it was a sacrifice on his part to take on that position. And uh, it may, there may be some verses, maybe some Christian knows out there and can call, that will help substantiate the idea that he did forego knowledge in order to uh, suffer for us. Now, but, but I, yeah, I understand that part, but what I'm saying is here, it, 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 I think we're confusing uh, causes and effects here or yeah. whatever. Maybe that's not the best way to describe it. Uh, again, I understand the whole uh, Christian theology of, of, of Christ's sacrifice and all that, but it, no matter how, you, no matter what you attribute this to, yeah. uh, you, you really can't escape the fact that uh, there are at least two different intelligences or minds or brains or whatever you want to call it See, I, uh, in the Trinity that that are apparently no, I just don't distinct I, I, and, and unique one from another. I, I, I just don't I just don't see it as that simply because, and that, that's why I keep going back to that point. In order for him to complete the atonement and become man and shed blood, he had to become like us. And if he became like us, he was he's going to lose something in the translation. But it doesn't mean it was permanently gone. It just means he didn't have access to it then. Well, I, again, I, I guess uh, another way of restating what you're saying is uh, as, a, as a consequence of, I guess what the LDS called the plan of salvation. I don't know if you even yeah. use that term or not. No. Uh, as a consequence of the plan of salvation, you have uh, a dis distinct intelligence. So you may say that that's as an explanation of why this verse is so. Yeah. But couldn't others say this is proof that as a result of this necessity that they are distinct individuals? Yeah, they could. In order to fulfill the whole uh, uh, prophecies in the scripture. They could. And, and they do, and that's what makes uh, the arguments alive, and that's why there are people who will listen and say, I agree with uh, what your point is rather than what the Christians say it is. Yeah, so I understand your point in saying, hey, this is a viable argument right here, and I, I would disagree because of my beliefs and what I believe the Bible says about him, but uh, I can understand the point. Okay, well, I appreciate your comments on okay, this. Okay, you can get this shirt. I'll let you know sometimes. Uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that, too. All right. See you later. All right. That's a good question. It was a tough one. We have to think that through. If any of you know any passages, believe me, I'm not the encyclopedia. Call and tell us. All right. Let's go to uh, Michael in Ogden on line four. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. 
showing beauty is in the, by, the eye of the beholder, and your shirt looks great, man. Yeah. I like it. They got good taste. Now, listen, I'm going to throw some questions at you real quick. I was talking to a local bishop. You've talked to me before. You know I'm Catholic and live in Ogden. I've talked to you a couple times before. Okay. Um, but I was talking to this bishop last night, um, uh, Mormon, LDS bishop, and I was speaking to him, and he said, well, here's what he threw at me, and I want to know your, your well, it just blows me away because we don't think this. I mean, we think of God as a trinity, you and I, and most Christians. And he said that, I said, you know, I threw at him what you said last week when Thomas, he said, here, Thomas, touch me, touch me, you know. And he's, and he's oh, my God, fellow, and he didn't say, hey, whoa, 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 I'm not your God, as you said last week. Right. So I told him, you know, I told him, not my bishop, but the ward bishop that. And, uh, and he told me, he said, well, Jesus was the God of the Old Testament. And I said, well, what do you mean exactly? I mean, you mean as an individual he was the God? And he said, well, he was the God of the, you know, he kept playing words and semantics. And, all. Yeah. and I said, well, I believe in uh, the, the uh, he said, you mean, I said, do you mean to tell me that he was, the, so you believe, and then he said, oh, he believed that all Christian. he said most Christian churches believe this. Uh, now, that's one thing, and I'm going to jump off the phone and let you answer this, but, and then the other thing I wanted to mention to you, I mentioned to him, I said, and I'd asked you this before, what was the original sin, and I said, uh, basically, it was when, what did, and I mentioned this to him last night, the serpent said, oh, God lied to you, basically, oh, you know, you eat this, and as soon as you eat it, your eyes will be open, you'll be as like, you'll be like God's, and, um, he said, well, they did begin to come gods, didn't they? So it was just, you know, as he's playing with words. And I said, no. I said, God told him to get the heck out of Eden, yeah. basically. Hey, Michael, then, let me uh, answer your question off the air, and we'll go from there. Okay, now I told a neighbor to watch your show, and guess what he said? He's a Mormon of all his life. And he said, well, the church has been too good for me, to me. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Sean, you're doing good, man. I'll, I'll keep watching. Thanks, Michael. Like you sure, bro. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> I don't remember his first question. Somebody. Uh, uh, question was about. Uh, oh, is Jesus the God of the Old Testament? Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are the God of the Old Testament. And uh, the LDS particularly assign and ascribe Jesus himself to being the God of the Old Testament. And uh, they have big problems with that when you start to see different uh, words that are used to, in an application to him in the Old Testament, being the Eternal Father and these different words, Yahweh and the Tetragrammaton and all these different words that are used in the Hebrew to describe Jesus in the Old Testament that the LDS say, and it doesn't fit. It fits God. It fits the God that the Jews believe in. It does not fit Jesus alone. It fits both Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, that's uh, the answer to that question. Let's go, this guy, let's go to Harley in Kolob Canyon. Harley, you're on Harley Matter. Hey, Sean, top of the morning to you. I'll stay on as long as you can stand me. But I'm that won't be too long. I'm going to set you up with a quick question, then I'm going to drop you on your head like your mother did when you were a wee child. And I, so the setup is this. Was Jesus a created being? Jesus, you're talking about his body or Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah, God? Pick whatever you want. Okay, uh, God, no, he was not a created being. 
Okay. Well, I'd like like you to turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Are you familiar with that? I'll read it. It's a quick verse. I am. It doesn't apply, but go ahead. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So here we learn that, that, uh, that Jesus was a created being. No, I don't think we learned that at all, Harley. Created says he was the beginning of the creation of God. He was the first thing created by God. Therefore, he is not God. He was the he was first created he was being. The, he was the first. He was separate from God. And so this cult you belong to of Trinity is every bit the cult of the cult of Tommy Monson. Yeah. You I, you've quit one cult and you've joined another. Okay. Uh, well, I, I think that you've read into that verse, and I don't believe it says that whatsoever. And uh, What does it say? Tell me, please. It says that he's the beginning of the creation of God. And so we would think that Jesus is the first fruits, and I would agree with that. And uh, Jesus may have been the beginning of God's creation in his mind for the salvation of the world, God knowing all things. Uh, but I don't believe it's saying that he was a created being. I think you take that phrase, a created being, and you've put it in those words. It doesn't say that. It says he was the first thing. The beginning. He was the first thing that... He was the beginning of the creation of God. So but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Harley. Give me, uh, give me this. Last week, I, two weeks ago, I did this when someone called with a scripture I didn't know about. Give me uh, this week. I'll look it up, and I'll come back with a very viable, biblically sound answer for you, and we'll go from there. Okay, I'll, I'll stay on the line as long as you want to and try to help you with your confusion. But, uh, uh, oh, and, and one thing I'd like to say, you were, you were talking a few weeks back about how there weren't any Mormons, maybe 10 killed by the persecutions in, in Missouri and so forth. But at Hans Mill, there were 10 uh, men and boys killed alone. Okay, so then we can say 15, Harley. I said maybe 10. I didn't know. In fact, I asked. That's just Hans Mill. But you've got you to gotta remember a lot of people. When you talk like this, you, you, you offend people because it's... Well, I'm sorry, I, but what I did was I, I, I said, I think I clearly said, I don't know, does anybody know the number, but there may have been... 10, maybe 10. Okay, let's say it was 15. All right, but it wasn't oh, no, 2 million. It wasn't 2 million, Harley. Right, but okay, a lot of people suffered and died just like they did at Mountain Meadows. And so... Uh, more, more died at Mountain Meadows than they did at Hans Mill. Oh, certainly, 120 unarmed men, women, and children. Died at, Hans, died at Mountain Meadows, and that far exceeds the number of all the LDS who have ever given their life and martyrdom. Yes, but that was my point. The point is you were rather flip about it. And, I'm still and, flipping and about it because I, I'm flipping about it because they make a, a uh, they make it a gigantic point of being so persecuted and they make it seem like there were maybe tens of thousands that have lost their lives. There was okay, you say ten at Hans Mill? I don't know. Ma 17 15? men and boys. You keep Se saying ten. How many? Seventeen? Seventeen Hans Mill alone. Okay, seventeen. So then maybe there was twenty. How many have been martyred in Mormondom? They make it an absolute sacrament, and it has nothing to do with the facts. So if you take umbrage to that, I'm sorry. No, no, I, I'm, I'm just saying, but it, you're coming across rather, rather flip. I'm purposefully. But uh, you, you ought to be sensitive to the suffering. A I ought of, to be sensitive. A lot, a lot of people were sent out into the prairies and do, so forth do, in the winter. Do I, hey, listen, uh, Harley, do I hear them being sensitive when they say all the creeds of, of the Christian church are an abomination and that they are the devil and there have been millions of Christians killed for their faith? Trinity you talk about, no, wait, you talk about flippant. Trinity is an abomination. It's a, it's a creation of the council. Wait, of wait, wait. How do we just go to Trinity when I'm pinning you down on a separate point? 
What, what's, what, what's happening with you, Harley, and all your ability with the English language? Let me tell you something. You're talking Let's stay, no, no, no. Let's stay on the point, Harley. Let's stay on the point. The point was you said I'm being flippant about the LDS having 10 people, 17 people, whatever. That's flippant. They have been flippant about how many Christians have given their life in the name of Christ by saying they've done it under evil heresy of, of the devil. Don't talk to me about being flippant. Don't call me on the carpet for being flippant when we're talking about millions of lives that have been lost on the Christian side. Millions. Relative to 20. Let the sun go down upon their wrath. Don't get so mad. I'm, uh, just saying, I'm just saying be a little more sensitive to the fact. I don't need to be sensitive. I don't care about sensitivity, Harley. I care about the truth. You can play games. I don't. I like the truth. You mess with me, I come down on you. Sorry. You can now I'll get the emails. Why you get so, I get angry when people mess, and that's what you do. It's your profession. I'm, what not, do I'm you, not messing with you, I'm just saying you, you're messing. It's part of your game. And I'm coming back at you with facts. You, you don't have any facts. I'm I just you, gave you facts. 17 at Hans Mill alone, your facts are way long. 17! 20! I said I didn't know. Maybe. But we're talking about like this, not millions. Your point is my flippancy. You've lost this one. You're going to lose the next one in Revelation next week when I give you the answer. The beginning of the creation of God. He was a created being. He's the first Look, thing. You're, now you're going back to this because you actually have me for a moment, Harley, but next week you won't. All right? I do have you because you've rejected for a moment. Of God. You've rejected a prophet, and therefore if you'd have lived in the days of Jesus Christ, you would have rejected him too. Moses is my prophet. Moses is traditional biblical Judaism. Moses is your prophet? Joseph Smith is a prophet. Yes. Moses is your prophet? No, I'm telling you, if you had, a, if you would have, oh, I see. In I the see. days You're of quoting. Christ, you would have rejected Christ, and you would have said, "Moses is my prophet." That's oh, I would have. Well, I'm glad to know that you're a fortune teller too. Yes, because you don't accept God's prophets. Because I don't accept God's prophets. It, if you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brother, you're quoting like mad. But what do you mean? Rejected Joseph Smith. What do you, you mean? Rejected Jesus Christ. So are you pro-Joseph, non-Joseph? What are you saying? I'm saying Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. and I'm, You're a fool. It, you are an LDS. absolute fool. Today's L oh, that one's going to be all over YouTube now. <laughs> Let's go to Jake and Sugar House on line one. Jake, how are you? I'm doing okay. Good. Poor Jake's all nice and calm what's happening man well first off i uh, just take a deep breath buddy it's okay it's, it's all right here we go with jake's stand-up routine all right what do you have to say buddy it's the first time i've ever seen your show okay yeah and i respect your opinions and i admire you for doing what you think's right uh i am i'm lds and okay. i appreciate your viewpoint i have a couple quick pointers and even though I don't know what your history is, if you were LDS or if you had a bad experience. It sounds like you had a couple bad experiences, and I apologize. I can't speak for the whole church or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I... I Jake, you ought, to, you ought to just get to your point. I'll tell you what my history is after you give it. Um, well, my point was, is my wife and I were sitting here, and, you know, it, it was kind of shocking hearing you talk about Joseph the way that you did, and that's okay. You're entitled to your opinion. And you said, and I had never heard... The idea of uh, the Trinity being one that Joseph taught. Uh, the point being is, if Joseph, at 14 years of age, claimed to see that he had saw God the Father and Jesus Christ as separate beings, 
and never denied that even at the point of a gun being oh, upon, upon him. Jake. Why would he all of a sudden change? Is it something that Jake. May, maybe you misunderstood, or is it something that maybe oh, uh, you know isn't talked about? I don't know. I'm just asking as a friend. Okay, Jake, as a friend, mm -hmm. Joseph Smith, if you go back and you just, just look at the first vision, at 14 years of age, first of all, he didn't say he saw God the Father separate and distinct. Uh, like the the version you read now, unfortunately, your your sincerity comes through and you believe that, but you've bought into a bunch of, of crud, and that's the events that took place in my life that have caused me to come out and speak against it. Are you talking about the different versions that he wrote because he wasn't able to describe the events that happened? Yeah, it's very difficult to say. I saw God the Father of flesh and bones when you're 15 years of old. That when you're 28, you can say, yeah, God the Father had a body of flesh and bones. I mean, we are talking about markedly different accounts. We went back and he revised and he changed his story. That's why I pointed out in the Book of Mormon, he used to teach the Trinitarian concept of God. It's in the Book of Mormon right there. But he changed that because it had to fit his later views of who God was. Oh, that, that's fine. You know, I mean, that's your opinion. No, it's not an opinion, uh, Jake. It's based on fact. I mean, just go and read. Go to utlm.org. Go to read Grant Palmer, who's, an, uh, who's a member of your church, who wrote a book called An Insider's View of Mormon Origins. Go read these things before you call. because I, You know, I probably will. I'll, I'll do my best to try and read those things. I honestly will try and research this stuff out. Okay, man. That, that if you do that, that's all I ask. And if you prove, me wrong, if you prove me wrong, I will, I will apologize when you show me how I'm wrong. No, I, I'm not. Listen, I, this is obviously something I don't know a lot about myself, and, yeah. that, and that's fine. Yeah. And change the fact that every, let's say that he did sort of misstep that when he was 15 to when he died when he was, what was it, 39. Um, let, let's say that he did somehow swan around that. There's still plenty of evidences in his life that he was a prophet. Okay, give, give me, well, give me, give me one. Give you one? Yeah, give me one evidence. That he that shows he was a prophet. It's, it says in the Bible that by your fruit, by their fruits, you shall know them. Okay. Okay. Now you're very familiar with the LDS Church. I am. And you're very familiar with the Bible. I am. Now that was also the other question I wanted to ask you: is the Bible's truth? It is the Word of God. Right. How did it come to be? Obviously, you know about the Council of Nicaea and three and fourteen. Okay. Yeah. You're. You know what. You are, you're touching on good points, and they are normal, normative points that return missionaries and LDS people will use. But we have done 127 shows, uh, oh, Jake. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, and, and we, we have gone through and talked about the Nicaea Creed. We've talked about the Bible, the infallible. We've talked about all these things. You can go back and watch this, but let me answer your point about the fruits, okay? Okay. But what you're saying is that Mormonism is true and Joseph Smith was a prophet because the LDS church can build multi-million dollar temples and they help the poor? No, I'm not saying that at all. The U well, the, what are the fruits that you're speaking of then? The fruits that I'm speaking of are the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. The fruits of the Spirit. Okay, let's talk about uh, the gifts of the Spirit that are described in the Bible, yeah. translation, the uh, interpreting of tongues, raising the healing the sick. Okay. Using God's authority that you're obviously familiar of. But all those, Jake, are, 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 have been manifested since the, uh, uh, the death of Jesus in his church throughout the ages. The, the, the fruits of the Spirit, love, peace, all those things come with regenerated Christians. Ab absolutely. So absolutely. How do you, why do you say the LDS have, have the, the corner said, on this? I never said that the LDS has a monopoly on God's love and God's... Okay, well, how do you say this proves Joseph Smith was a true prophet? How does 
Joseph Smith is a true prophet by, first off, you're going to take the Book of Mormon, okay? And you're going to totally discredit the Book of Mormon, but that is the biggest fruit that I can give you. Okay, then before you say that, go to our five-part series on the Book of Mormon and listen to it and do your research and then come back and you tell me after you've studied it that you say the Book of Mormon is, is, the, is a fruit of the Word of God. I mean, Jake, I'm telling you, you get the education, you won't be making this call. I promise you. And, and if I'm wrong, I will apologize on TV to you and your family. I'll tear off this shirt and you can see my fat gut. Whatever. But you go do your deal and you check it out and then you come back and say, Sean, you are absolutely wrong and this is why. But do your, be, be fair. Go and look at UTLM where you, they actually quote. Let, let me write this down really quick because I'll go okay. look it up and I'll read it. And okay. I, you know, we, friends can have mutual discussions without tearing apart each other's. Oh, they can. They can. And I do often with people, but this show has a, a, a certain aspect of entertainment and I tie that. You don't know that. If you and I were sitting in a restaurant, you wouldn't see any of these antics. It's just part of the show. And I, I understand that. And, and, you know, I appreciate that. But I, I kind of work a different way where I try to understand where you're coming from. And hopefully you can understand where I'm coming okay. from. Okay. So uh, you have a pen? Yeah, I got it right here. What is it? Yeah, go to UTLM, UTLM.org. Oh, it's on the screen right now. <laughs> yeah, it's on the screen. Also, uh, go to HOTM.TV. You can watch all the past shows. Pick a subject and then check my facts. And uh, the facts I give, if you say he's wrong, he's a, check the fact yourself. Anything that's said. And then come back and say, Sean, you were wrong on this. And we'll go from there. But you got to give me facts and not just your thoughts. Well, see, that's just the thing. I can, I can uh, talk to you about things that I've seen, experienced myself. How do I relate that over to the television? Well, so can the Muslims. Are they, are they the true and correct church? So can the Jehovah's Witnesses. Hey. Absolutely. There's truth in every religion out there. They're going to teach people to be good people. So, but, but then what you're saying, uh, Jake, is the only hope is universalism, where everybody has these parts of truth. You're denying the idea that God gave truth and there is a perfect truth. You're also going against the LDS church that says it's the only true and living church on the face of the earth. Okay, first off, you're going to have to separate me from most of the Mormon religion. But see, that's not fair, though, because what you're doing is you're saying, which is very popular today within Mormondom, this is my religion. This is a Bob Miller approach. I believe, I believe, I'm Mormon, but I believe, and this is not a very nice because other people can come and say, well, I've listened to Jake, and I really like his version. They join the church, they start dedicating their lives, and they find out that Jake's version is not the official version. And Jake's version will get them in trouble if they start teaching that. And so this is the reason that we are sticklers on these points, Jake, is because what is official doctrine is not necessarily what's in a good heart like yours. Okay. All right? Okay, but, I mean, like, like you were saying, I do believe there's truth. Wherever truth comes from, I'll take it. All right, good. Well, let's go from there and, see, and let's see where we get. Call us back. I will. When, right. You're on every Tuesday? Every Tuesday from 8 to 9. Okay. All right, Jake, thanks. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. We may have another John O'Fallon, but a nicer one. That's awesome. We're going to Diana and Sandy. Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Diana. I thought that what I would do, I got into Webster's Dictionary, okay? All right. Okay, the definition according to Webster of Trinity is just as you said, the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three persons in one Godhead, okay? Okay. Okay, the definition of triplet is a combination 
set or group of three. According to Webster's Dictionary, the Mormon belief of what they call the Trinity is actually defined in Webster's as triplet. Triplet. Huh. Right? Huh. <laughs> wow. That's very informative. Well, I mean, it, maybe, maybe at least they'll use the Webster's Dictionary. If they don't want to use the Bible, let's use Webster's Dictionary. Anything that will bring them to, to at least start arguing fairly. That's right. Thanks so much, Diana, for the backup. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Dave, we're going to LB in Orem, LB in Provo. LB, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, Sean? How you doing, ma'am? Yeah, I uh, answered uh, Holly's question, or it wasn't really a question, but his argument, I guess. Um, he was saying that uh, Jesus was created because he was the firstborn, or... Yeah, I was referring to Revelation 3.14. Yeah, but that's what the King James says, and the C says he's the source of God's creation. The B says he's the ruler of God's creation. And I think it's a translation thing. I yeah. Uh, but just describe it is uh, Colossians one fifteen through sixteen. He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. And firstborn doesn't mean he was firstborn. It has the idea of like David was called the firstborn son, but he was the eighth son born in right. the Old Testament. Israel was called the firstborn nation, but they weren't the first nation to be born. Good point, LB. And that brings yeah, me. That it, brings. Well, to I just want to say it's an authoritative, unique position, not a chronological birth position. It's a birthright, I guess you could say. Good comment. Thanks so much, man. That's all I got to say. Thanks. Okay, bye. Uh, that brings to mind uh, John, Gospel of John, that uh, by him were all things created. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were created by him, talking about Jesus. So it could have reference to that as well. But I don't want to hypothesize. I'll find out what the answer is, and uh, we'll go from there. We're going to take one quick call, if we can. Dave and Orem, you've only got 30 seconds. Okay. Uh, Sean, I've called before. I just want to say I would like to get a source for a comprehensive list of the Book of Mormon references to the Trinity you just had, plus more, whether I have to search a CD or whatever, and the Christian. The reason is... They use the phrase Elohim, Jehovah, all kinds of things in the LDS. And I just want to get these comprehensive lists either posted on a website or for them to hand to them. And I just want to know if you'd have any sources for that so we could search it in data, on CDs, whatever. Okay. Get it out. Let me uh, write that down in addition to Revelation 314. I'll see if I can get some information to you on the next week's show. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Dave. God bless you. Hey, remember this week, a book signing at uh, New Life Christian on 1550 Main Street, North Main in Layton. And uh, from 6 to 8 p.m., come down and uh, get books from uh, New Life Christian or sign, shake hands, whatever it is. Until that time, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
Thank you.